0: Hi, this is the Becoming Her podcast. I'm your host Shreeja and in this episode I have with me the noted Indian designer Kresha Bajaj. She is the force behind her eponymous brand Kresha Bajaj and Khoesh. Kresha is also known for her exquisite bridal line, the detailed embellishments in her work and her collection based on the ocean, Acropola. Kresha, thank you so much for being with me today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, how is this time coming along for you with everything that's happening in the world right now? It's pretty crazy.
1: Um, I think it's, you know, it's been a little hard, but there's also been a lot of positives that have come from it in terms of just getting to spend time with family. And I think it's really, you know, pushing all of us to be creative and, you know, work a little bit outside our comfort zone and think of new projects and think of new you know, aspects that we can introduce to the brand um, because I think the world is really going to change and we just have to figure out the best way to deal with this change.
0: Yeah, I can, I cannot even begin to imagine uh, what a post coronavirus world is going to look like I can just hope that it's fine but on that note I think we're just talking about it Kresha I really like this initiative that you have started uh, which uh, you've you know, just started today or yesterday uh, called Care for Karigars do you want to tell me more about it
1: so I'll talk a little bit about the initiative we're doing and it's called Care for Karigars and this is something that we are doing with Shubika from Papa Don't Preach so it's great because, you know, it's lovely when two brands come together as well for a common cause. Um, basically, you know, when you think of a karigarh, it's a term that's used very broadly in the industry. And for right. us, particularly, a karigarh is a raw material uh, raw material producer, you know, like an artisan or a weaver or a dyer. And without these people, our brands would really struggle um, because they're the pillars of the industry and it's their you know, dedication and craftsmanship that really brings our creativity or our design to life. Um, so basically what we're trying to do through this initiative is we're, you know, we're hoping to raise enough money to support our Carrigers and their families as well um, during these times. And a really you know lovely thing that we've done together, which is Papa Don't Preach and us as well, is we've created one of our signature products um, in a very limited series, and we are offering it at five thousand rupees, and all the proceeds of the sales will be donated to you know the Carrigers and their families and this is mainly to ensure that craftsmanship continues and it you know, preserves the artistry. Um, and yeah, that's that's basically what the whole initiative is about. Uh, it's
0: fantastic to see, Kresha, that there are designers like yourselves that are going out there uh, to work with carriers and preserving, you know, our... Traditions of artistry and craft, and it's really great that you're also doing this other initiative to give back to them because you know a lot of them might not have the means to uh, live as well as we do, or even not even bare minimum. So it's fantastic that you're doing that. And I know that you also work with third-generation carvers for your work as well. So on that note, I wanted to speak to you about your work, Kresha. You know, I know you've had a pretty decently long career. You've gone from studying fashion for about eight years, uh, design for f- eight years. And then you had your brand, Koesh, and now you have the Kresha Pajaj label. So can you walk me through, let's say, like three or four turning points in your career that have brought you to where you are today?
1: Um, Okay, so I would say probably the first turning point. So when when I came back from studying, um, I wanted to launch the website as I did with Koesh uh, because I believe that was the way forward. And that was the only way um, to start. Um, you know and I launched it and it was great but I think my first turning point came when my website crashed and it crashed completely and I literally lost all my data um, oh, I, had, <laughs> I had orders that was brutal it was horrible Um, because the worst part is forget losing the data in terms of like the images and you know all of that because Mm -hmm. you have a backup of that but where it really went downhill was there were a lot of in-process orders so where payments had been received um, you know an order was in certain like it was in a certain process but that information went so it was impossible to connect the dots of who bought what, what was supposed to go where because the person's, you know, address was not taken, their name was not taken, but the payment has come in and, you know, we don't know details of the product, details of the sizes. Um, so that was, um, that was really bad. And that's when I kind of decided to shut down the website. Um, and I decided to build it again from scratch, which was again, going to take a really long time because we were doing a completely, um, coded website. Um, and that's when I kind of started, didn't have an option, but to start selling, um, offline. And that's, I think that was one of like, that was when I kind of settled or, was open to the idea of not only doing things through a website. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say one of the second turning points was probably when I was doing my um the trying to pick out my outfits for my wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, because the kind of cl- oh I know this yeah <laughs> I know your wedding yeah.
0: I know your wedding lenga yeah. it's so gorgeous. Oh.
1: So it and it wasn't only the love story lenga but it was also you know, all the other clothes and I had never really got into Indian clothes. And even the kind of Indian clothes I would do, I was doing were very, very edgy and being paired with like mm-hmm. Jeffrey Campbell boots and studs and spikes. Um, But I started hunting for clothes and I went everywhere. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are beautiful options, like beautiful stuff by designers and like so much of a variety, but I'm really petite. And also I'm really detail oriented. So like, You know, if you have a seam and you have half a flower and the other half of the flower is not matching, identical, it drives me crazy. So I think Mm -hmm. I drove my mother nuts (laughs) (laughs) to a point where I just wasn't liking anything for me. You know, however beautiful it was, it just wasn't me. So Mm -hmm. I decided I'm just going to go and make my own clothes. And as much as I thought I would hate it, I think I came like out of that experience really loving um creating you know like bridal wear or Indian clothes or festive clothes. Um, right. and I loved embroidery. I, I never knew I had such a love for embroidery before this. And that was my turning point in terms of knowing that I kind of wanted to move um, from ready to wear and from breath to a more you know like occasion where, uh, or a more or a line that focused more on investment pieces, even if it was prepped pieces. Um, right. I wanted to completely move away from fast fashion. Um, and a third, the third, I would say, turning point, as we spoke about a little bit, um, is the love mm-hmm. story Langa. Um, Because that really, you know, changed it for me when all this happened with the website, I kind of went through a phase where I was really depressed. And I really felt like I failed and I didn't know how to get back up. And in the middle of all that, I kind of, you know, I got married. And this is when um, I created all these pieces and I came back with a lot of uncertainty about what my direction was going to be. And I posted, you know, about the love story link. And I remember I woke mm-hmm. up the next morning with like over 800 emails um, oh, wow! from all over the world and like brides from everywhere telling me that they, you know, wanted me to make something with their love story on it. So that kind of also took the brand, the direction it is now this is really interesting i had
0: I, I mean i mean i knew about the love story lehenga but i did not really know about the full story behind it it's incredible that you got 800 emails messages overnight but that just sort of goes to show how much social media and the internet is doing to revolutionize trends and you know make brands or break brands today i i for one discovered your work when i remember seeing the pictures of some friend of mine you know friend's friend rather uh, and she was wearing one of your designs I think it's like a white uh, lehenga and I remember thinking it was so beautiful I went to your page I saw that you were inspired by the ocean and then one of my friends wore one of your designs for her Sangeet so it's really interesting how social media sort of you know introducing everybody people to you know to brands and people like you and i know that you also have such a beautiful beautiful social media feed in fact one of the things that i really like about your feed kresha is the fact that you rarely if ever show your face and i really identify with it because i'm so camera shy i love taking pictures but i cannot show my face in front yeah. of it but uh, i wanted to ask you you know how have you been using instagram to create your personal brand and how has that impacted uh, where the kresha majaj brand in terms of your bridal line stands now
1: um so to tell you really honestly instagram um, per se has been an amazing tool, um, and I realized the power of it. Um, you know, after it really took the love story langa um, to all parts of the world. Uh, we don't really do any marketing at all. Um, I don't, you know, I don't sell on a website. Uh, we don't supply to any other stores, and. We don't really do any like advertisements or anything like that. So Instagram and word of mouth are literally the only tool um, that we use in order to, you know, build our client base or that allow people to, you know, find out about us. So it, to me, it's one of the most important things. And I think it's a really, really great um, tool to use. You know, I wanted to go back, Risha,
0: to one of the things that you uh, said in one of the previous answers where you mentioned that you were petite. And I remember seeing this, you know, uh, interview of yours where you mentioned that you're petite and you have this voice. So people did not take you seriously back in the time. And uh, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who had interviewed for this series. She's an entrepreneur. And she said this line, uh, women have to work twice as hard to be taken half as seriously. So I, I, I definitely felt that line, and you know, being a small person myself, I'm like five foot tall. I felt your, you know, line where you spoke about being petite. So, uh, you know, what are, I want to talk to you about some challenges that uh, you might have faced uh, in building up a business as a woman.
1: Um, you know, I don't really feel that being a woman has had anything to do with the challenges that me personally I faced. Um when I mentioned, um, you know, when you mentioned the interview you heard, and I spoke about, you know, my voice, and my height, and uh, even I think my face is a little bit of a baby face. So people don't really believe that I'm 32 a lot of the time. Um, Mm -hmm. But that I think that was more to do with when I was growing up, and people would just think of me as like a child. Um, But in terms of being a woman, I feel that, you know, the challenges that I've been through, I think both men and women face. Um, and starting your own business is really never easy. <laughs> Sometimes I think that if I had to do this again, would I really start a business? Um, because it's really tough. Um, for one, my biggest challenge is it's very lonely. Um, you know, especially when you're one founder and you don't have a partner, you don't, you know, um, it's really tough. Like you have to make all the decisions yourself. Um, if it's a good decision, you share it with everyone else. If it's a bad decision, it's you're the only person that's responsible for it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like all the stress, all everything else that comes with it is something that you have to kind of go through yourself. So that's one thing that I've struggled with. Um, and that's again links in with kind of like founder dependence as well um, because you don't have the choice but to kind of figure out everything on your own you know Um, the other challenge um, is I feel delegation to me has been one of my biggest challenges because I know exactly what I want and how I want it Um, so sometimes delegating has been you know really tough and also I think finding the right team in today's at least this is what I feel but like in today's day and age I feel like a lot of people just want the easy way out you know and they're not willing to put the hard work in and if it's like a nine to five or if it's you know like a certain time and they just want to be there get stuff done and leave and you know not really have that ownership or not really have um or not really want to give anything more than that. Or then with fashion, I think sometimes it becomes a little frivolous because you have a lot of people who think that it's a very like fancy and flamboyant job, you know, out of the movies they've seen or out of yeah. the books they've read. Um, and they don't realize the amount of work and detailing and research and, you know, like actual like <laughs> labor that you need to put in. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would say these are few of my challenges.
0: You know, it's really interesting that you mentioned that uh, people don't really get the you know the hustle that goes behind the scenes of a fashion world because I I, you know I'm friends with Larissa you're friends with Larissa I'm friends with you know a couple of other influencers as well and uh, all of my non-influencer friends are just always at a loss to think about but what, what do they do really do you know what work is it and I know it's not the same as fashion but it just sort of goes to show that this world is just so in- endlessly glamorized that people often sort of forget that this is just the tip of the iceberg and the rest of the iceberg is just something that you don't see. And there's so much work that goes behind it. Uh, On that note, Krisha, I wanted to ask you, you know, you're not just a designer, right? I mean, you create beautiful designs, but you also sell. And it's fantastic that the only marketing that you're doing is Instagram and word of mouth. Honestly, this is a business case that I should take to my business school, Where I'm going next. So I want to talk to you about uh, the business skills that you think Someone that's trying to launch their own brand, you know, be a designer uh, brand for themselves, they need to have. So, you know, what are some of the business skills, soft skills that a uh, person aspiring to be, uh, you know, like a fashion house of themselves, what do they need?
1: Um, So I would say, you know, anything you're planning on starting, um, it's really important that you know the fundamentals and the basics of that. So one thing I actually really learned from my parents and I really like value um, their advice so much is that you study every aspect of what you need to know. Um, and they gave me the permission to study literally everything from pattern cutting to stitching to um, sewing to marketing to, I mean, every aspect of it, just because, you know, you don't ever want to be dependent on anyone else. Um, right. And I think a lot of people who get into design feel, you know, um, that they don't need to know how to sketch, they don't need to know how to sew, they can pull up references from somewhere, they can just give it to, you know, their pattern maker, their master, their tailor, in order to execute. But I am completely against that. I believe that you should really be able to know how to translate what is in your mind, um, you know, to paper, and then what's on paper to reality. Um, So while studying exactly, you know, what you need to in order to get your basics and fundamentals, and after that, I would say just work as much as you can. Um, I studied for eight years, but I can tell you that that did not give me half as much the experience as, you know, working for two years did, because you learn on the job um and with that learning you also end up figuring out your own style and aesthetic um so i would say yeah just learn your you know fundamentals and get all of that in order and then just work 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 before starting up and a lot of times when you work or a lot of times you know when you do a certain course you might think in your head that okay i want to become a fashion designer and i want to have uh, my own fashion label but once you get into the work part of it and you're you know in the field you might realize that you hate it <laughs> you know you might realize that you hate it and you want to get into merchandising or you want to get into styling or um so i think that that part of it gives you a lot of clarity yeah so if you work
0: you find out what is it that you really actually like and then you you Figure. out You get your hands dirty in all different fields and you figure out what you're best at. I definitely agree with you, though, that working teaches you unlike any other education. Uh, you know, I studied, I did my BBA uh, and I don't think I've learned anything in those three years compared to what I've learned in my five and a half years of work experience. So I definitely agree with you on that. And, uh, you know, you spoke about how people might think that they want to have their own label but then once they start working on it they realize that this is not something that they want to do um you know i know you've always worked on your own labels like koresh and Krisha bajaj but uh do you think uh, that there's you know what do you think are the biggest differences between uh working for your own label and working for someone else you know for example designing for yourself and designing for a brand that creates clothes so if a fashion designer is straight out of college and they are trying to weigh these two decisions what advice would you give them
1: um i would definitely say go and work you know and design design for someone else um because like i said like having your own business is really tough like it's really tough and you have to be you know very confident in what you're offering and you have to just get it right because today there are so many businesses and brands coming up and you know there's so many of them that are like so talented and you know producing such beautiful outfits accessories products in general um that you really need to be able to survive as your own brand with your own aesthetic and your own USP. And starting off, um, you know, like fresh off the bat, like just graduated or just, um, you know, come out of your university or college, I don't think that that's the best move to make. Um, And working for someone is great. It gives you great experience. It gives you a great insight into, um, you know, how, how, The fashion world works. And then the other thing is also, I feel like security. Um, You know, for me, regardless of how I do in a month, I could be doing great or I could be doing miserable. But at the end of the day, I still, you know, have certain commitments. Um, And when you're working with a brand, you, you know, you have that security of no matter how the brand is doing, you're still, um, you know, you're still able to cover your basics.
0: Yeah, of course. Of course, I think, uh, you know, given this economy right now, I can definitely imagine how important that security is, especially if someone's young and starting out and learning and with everything that goes behind the scenes of being an entrepreneur and the amount of risks that, you know, that you need to take. I, you know, I definitely see your point with how working for a label can be important. Um, you know, Kresha, I wanted to go back to, you know, what we started out this conversation with, you know, before we started recording, which is about diving. Um, you know, I know that you were really inspired by the, by by the diving that you did in Raja Ampaz to create your uh, first uh, you know line associated with the ocean called Dontel. And now you have Acropola in a world where, we're constantly talking about how fashion is causing environmental damage and how people need to buy less rent more so where does your philosophy for kresha pajaj come in you know you obviously create these beautiful stunning pieces but pieces that people might just sort of wear once because it's for a wedding so you know how can people how how can consumers and designers work around this to create pieces and fashion that is more environmentally conscious
1: um so for me you know the philosophy that um, we as a brand and me personally i live by is i really focus on investment pieces Um, You know, so that is something that we really focus on creating um, where quality is key. And it's a piece that can literally be passed down to three generations. Um, And in terms of the wearability of it, of course, if a person is coming for their wedding outfit per se, and it is a super heavy outfit, then they would you know, be restricted in being able to wear that. But we always provide a lot of options where a person can mix and match, um, mm-hmm. you know. And we do this with our brides. We do this in the form of workshops as well. And it's really great because we, will you know, help a bride like be able to use her super, super heavy blouse in a very chill way where she could even maybe wear to Coachella, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So to me, investment pieces are key. Um, I do not believe in fast fashion. I'm very, very against it. Um, and even, you know, when we're talking about being environmentally friendly, it's not just about using um, friendly fabrics or friendly dyes. But I think what a lot of brands fail to understand is you could be using all your raw materials could be environmentally friendly, uh, but you need to consider what is the carbon footprint that is going into producing, you know, every single garment. Um, and you also have to be mindful that, you know, environmentally friendly pieces, the production of it can sometimes be damaging to the artisans as well. So I think it's really important to find a balance Um when looking at creating a sustainable brand to keep tradition alive and at the same time, you know, be kind to the environment. Thank you
0: so much. It's it's really refreshing to, uh, to speak to, uh, you know, people in this generation. You know, it's not, it's not just you and me. There's so many people, my friends, my friends, friends that uh, have this sort of ethos of, of making sure that the earth is not damaged due to our personal choices of how we want to look. And I do really like that about our generation. And it's it's great that uh, with what you're doing with Kresha Bajaj and with your entire business. So on that note, Kresha, as we uh, sort of, uh, you know, begin to wind up, uh, I'd love to hear what else is in store for your brand in the next couple of months and the next couple of years, rather.
1: Um. So we had a lot of plans in the works Um. And we were planning on launching internationally and doing a lot of fun things. And we also had a new band that we were working on, um, as well. But you know, given this current situation right now, that is on hold. But as soon as, um, as soon as we're you know we're announcing new things that we're planning on doing, we'll definitely keep you posted.
0: Cool. I really look forward to what next, man. I I really hope that Trisha, you can. Create something that's more like, like an you know, like an H and X Bajaj collection. Like you know, they have the collections with designers where you can get really great pieces that we wear on an everyday basis. Like I want to wear something that's ocean inspired, but not which is not like a lenga. You know, I'd love to have something like that. So please, it'd really be great if you could come up with something like
1: that. Definitely, and I think I've kind of answered your question or given you a solution <laughs> with the cape that we've <laughs> launched. Yeah, it's a really beautiful. It's a limited edition. It's one of our best sellers. um, And it's something that you can get in four colors and it can go on anything and everything. Uh, You know, swimsuit, jeans and a tank top, a sari. So I think like we spoke about investment pieces. Um, I -hmm. think this is a really beautiful investment piece, um, but at a very, very, very reduced (laughs) cost.
0: Right. Great, Kresha. it's nice to hear that. I actually wanted to go back and sort of ask you one question, although I was going to sort of wind up because you mentioned that, uh, you know, uh, with everything that's happening right now, you know, you've had to be sort of a little agile with your plans. And uh, so I'm going to do my MBA soon, right? And one of the biggest things that we keep hearing all the time is how big e-commerce is going to become, even bigger than what it's been right now. And I understand that e-commerce can be challenge for a bridal line or a luxury line uh that sort of depends upon you know like at least if I were a bride I would want to go to the store touch the fabric see the fabric see the designs and speak to the designer so where do you think e-commerce fits in with your line of work
1: luxury designers in general have kind of been um riding the e-commerce wave for a while And I think the biggest thing that really separates them is the way that they present their creations and collections. Um, And, you know, like I said, my kind of (laughs) um, fight with e-commerce or my little bit of uh, annoyance with e-commerce after what happened um, to the site, I've only focused on selling through Instagram um, and the physical store that we launched last year um and right now my my challenge you know with starting online which is something that we've wanted to do for a long time and we're looking at doing it you know even quicker now but what we do is we really create an experience um for a person Mm -hmm. so from the time you know they step out of their car to when they walk into the you know the fragrance you have of the candles on the ground floor which is completely different from the candles and the fragrance and the lighting and experience you would have on the first floor which is the bridal boudoir um Mm -hmm. the entire thing is an experience even the way you get served your coffee even the way you um you know get taken to the changing room um it's it's like a beautiful story Um, and creating that online becomes really difficult so I'm sure yeah that is that is a little bit that we're trying to figure out and um, you know once we once we just exactly manage to find the way to translate that same experience online I think you'll find us there
0: well I hope to see you there very soon and since you spoke about coffee this brings me to uh, my last question uh, second last question actually so before that i'm going to ask you you know what would be the one piece of advice that you would want to give aspiring fashion designers
1: so my advice advice would be just you know go with your gut um, that's something I did. And for a while, it was really challenging because a lot of people said, this is not going to work out. That's not going to work out. You know, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, but I just really believed in my product, and my designs, and I went with my gut. Um, so just go for it. Find your USP. Um, you know, don't follow trends. Don't follow fashion. Like, it, don't follow other designers. Don't try to do what someone else is already doing well. Find your own calling because it's your USP that's going to completely set you apart uh, and make people want to come to you. And, you know, again, touching a little bit about what I spoke before is... Study, get your basics, you know, in order and just work, work, work.
0: Thank you so much for that, Kresha. That's definitely sound advice for anyone, whether they are doing fashion design or any other sort of line of work. Thank you so much for that. And as we wind up, I'll come to that coffee question, which I was talking about earlier. So I typically end my uh, conversations with this question. So if you could have coffee with, uh, or chai, if you're a chai person, with anyone, uh any woman rather that's uh dead or alive whom would it be and why uh
1: could it be a fictional character yeah oh for all yeah. You like, i would love to have a cup of coffee um with mrs mazel it would be it would be a wonderful yeah cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> i am very inspired by her i just i i mean of course i love her sense of style but I also love that she just says what she wants, when she wants, um, and yeah, I, I, she would be the person I would choose. Is that whom you're going to dress up
0: as at the next costume party then?
1: Uh, maybe, if I end <laughs> yeah. up losing
0: a little weight after this lockdown. Oh, oh yeah, I think there's going to be like two kinds of people, uh, the ones that just like work out, work out, work out, and just get skinny, or the ones that just munch on, but I mean, it's okay. As long as we're all fine after the lockdown, I think it's fine. Yes. Uh, anyway, Kresha, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it's been such a lovely 35, 40 minutes speaking to you. And I hope you had a good time too.
1: I did. I had a lovely time. And I'm actually so glad I did this. Um, and yeah, it was lovely talking to you. And I hope I can meet you someday in person as well.
0: For sure. Man. You, Larissa and me, we should definitely I haven't seen her in the longest time. Definitely. I look forward to it. Well, to everyone else that's uh, listening in, thank you so much for joining us. Please do check out Kresha Bajaj and her work on Instagram. And you can also reach out to me on the Becoming Her podcast Instagram page. Thank you and have a lovely day.